Welcome back to The Basement, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual, sitting down here in the basement. Uh, storm's rolling in here in Washington, D.C., so I'm going to make this quick. Uh, this podcast was a little delayed. Uh, we had some stuff come up. Uh, one of those things that came up was our conversation with Robert Ellis. I hope you listened to that. Uh, if you listen to this on Thursday, it is not too late to get tickets do his show at the Hamilton. I will be there. Uh, I will be there with a friend. And Robert will be there with his band. And uh, Tom Brousseau will be there. It's going to be an amazing show. So, uh, you know, push pause on this. Buy your ticket. We'll see you at the Hamilton for Robert Ellis. Uh, now on to this week's podcast. Uh, the, the album we're talking about this week is White Long. This is one of Paul's favorite bands out of Toronto. A little uh, punk, a little poppy stuff. They have a new album out called Paradise. Came out about a month and a half, two months ago, I think now. Uh, So we're just getting around to doing that. Going to be featuring a track from an album that also came out a little while ago that we meant to talk about sooner. Uh, That is Miles Davis uh, and Robert Glasper. And what happened is he he sort of took a bunch of old studio tapes and worked up some some magic on it. Uh, And it's a magical album. The name of the album is Everything's Beautiful. And uh, we have a track from that called I'm Leaving You, uh, which, you know, jazz heads pay attention because it's, again, the album is pretty badass. And then uh, up front, we're going to be talking about Spotify. You know, usually we have title talk, but uh, about when this came out, there was a bunch of articles uh, because they dug in and and found uh, Spotify's financial papers. And so all kinds of people made all kinds of different interpretations on it. And uh, I'd say a lot of them were just sort of scandalous, but, you know, trying to drum up hits. So we're going to try to parse it a little bit. This is obviously not a a complete, a comprehensive understanding of Spotify's financials, but uh, we're going to try to make it make a little sense of it and how this plugs into you uh, if you're a musician listening to this, and uh, and maybe how to make it better. And, and if you listen to this podcast, you know this is stuff that we've been talking about for uh, almost 200 episodes now. Uh, so that's our podcast. So before I get hit by lightning here, I think we're just going to get to it. Uh, here we go. This is episode number 194 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. We're reviewing the new album from White Lung, Paradise. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Merely a two-word review, just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up and go next week. This is gonna be a bro down, Paul. This is the Thunderdome this time. We're gonna we're gonna knock out two of these motherfuckers. All right. Uh, first one you're listening to right now. We're gonna be talking about uh, a little bank called White Lung. This oh, is sort yeah. this is sort of a dare. Well, you know what? No, this isn't a dare, Paul. I said suggest things that uh, we should talk about because I will talk about anything, and then you do this to me. But. Well, we're here. Know, they're, they're one of my favorite bands, and I've talked about them on the podcast. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. And uh, so, so we're doing it, uh, but we're going to get to that. Uh, before that, uh, article came out this week, uh, or Spotify released their financial results, uh, and there was an article in Fortune magazine that said uh, Spotify's financial reser- results reinforce just how broken the music business is. Uh, a quick rundown of what's going on here: um, their revenues accelerated in 2015; they grew by about 80 percent. To uh, 1.95 billion euros. That's about what 2.1 million dollars billion. Excuse me. Uh, 90 million subscribers and close to 2 billion in annual annual revenues. Uh, its user base climbed almost 50 percent. It was at 60 million there, like the 90 million now. That's pretty huge. Uh, on the flip side of that coin is uh, their losses, and uh, their losses also expanded. Uh, it's 206 million. That's up from 184 million in 2014. Um, and they're sort of excited though because 
they went into the red, it didn't increase as quickly as the revenues do. Now, I actually was on Facebook today talking with a bunch of people, like arguing this thing about like Spotify's evil. Uh, you hear that all the time, and they're fucking the artists and whatnot. Um, this, I mean, this is a fact that I'm going to lay out here. Like Spotify's single biggest expenses are the payments it has uh, to make to the record labels and music publishers. Um, this is what put RDO out of business. Let me. L- l- I want to make something really, really fucking clear yeah. to people that are that that are out there and that are arguing with you. Spotify is not evil. Spotify is not fucking artists. Your label is fucking you if right. you're getting fucked. Right. Well, we were going to get to that, but thank you, Paul. <laughs> you've you've been down here before. You know yeah. me well. Um, so, uh, you know, they're paying out over 80% now of of their gross. Like, what comes in goes out the door directly to the rights holders and whatnot and, and to pay to licenses stuff. All the while building an infrastructure um, that is going to support, in my mind, what is the... I mean, streaming is going to be the future. Whether or not it's Spotify, that remains to be seen but it is going to be the future um you know and the cry like in the gist of this argument that we were having today was that like they're not paying each other enough and you just laid it out like right there they do not negotiate with the artists when they do directly with the artists the artists get what it is and and i and we talked about it a lot and and i don't think anybody is arguing that artists shouldn't get paid more. No. I mean, they should. But in this emerging ecosystem, um, let's start with this question to you, Paul. Do you th- is, isn't it fair to expect growing pains? Uh, I absolutely think that it is. Um, unfortunately, as with all growing pains, it seems like the people who are least able to bear the pain mm-hmm. financially are the ones that are, uh, that are having to deal with the brunt of it. Um, I think we're seeing where this market's going to settle at. When Spotify came into the business, it was brand new. Now everyone and their mom is trying to start a streaming service. Yeah. We talk almost every week about the fragmentation which, in the streaming ecosystem. Which, by the way, that's going to drive down how much you get per stream. It, it's fair, but it's also just where this notion of exclusivity is going to end up if we're going to land on a place where most music, uh, most new music can be found, or if we're going to end up in like an ecosystem fragmented by providers, you see the same thing in the video space. Yep. And I think we're in an evolving time in terms of content delivery. Uh, but at the end of the day, the people who hold the content rights mm-hmm. are making out like bandits. They are. They and are. I mean, and it's not to say that they shouldn't, because if you hold the content rights, then you made out like a bandit when you were selling only the physical copies yes. and you're finding a way now to continue to do so when you're streaming. That doesn't change. What needs to change if people are unhappy with the way this is going is the relationship between the artist and the label slash rights holder. Yeah. And that's a matter of, you know, representation and negotiation. Yeah. And, and that, that is sort of a tricky point. I mean, look, you know, Spotify's a business, they're not. They're not going to like try to negotiate for the highest rate they can pay. Mm-hmm. That's not how business works. Uh, but currently, right now, uh, eighty-five cents out of every dollar. I mean, this is just a reiteration of what I said before. Goes out the door of they make. Name me a single other business that is doing that. And people are 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 saying they're this evil empire. But I mean, let's let's put it in terms of like, what if Spotify was a nonprofit? What if they're building, if they were building this thing uh, on their backs because it benefits the good of like all of us, which I think in the end, this access does, you know, I think it gives bands careers that won't have careers. Otherwise, if you, if you are a small band playing in say DC in the old model, um, you had to tour, you had to tour to get fans. Mm hmm. Now you can pay money to a PR company. Somebody can look up your stuff on Spotify, and all of a sudden you have a gig halfway across the country. Yep. Or even just, even if you don't want to, be, to say to put it on the PR companies and you know this this bit of a you know, system gaming right here. Yeah. Even just if you get a groundswell of support, that support doesn't have to stay local. Like, if yeah. somebody if somebody calls their cousin in LA, they don't have to send them a bootleg tape mm-hmm. or. 
a CD, which, by the way, you're also not getting paid for. Yeah. But they can look you up on Spotify. You might not be making money off of it, but it expands your fan base. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, that, that's... To my mind, I think what the pain that people are feeling is, is like you said, this lower, uh, I hesitate to use the word class of musician. This is not speaking their talent at all, but this lower um, strata of musician uh, that really is not making money off of anything. And But what little money they might have been making was off of a CD. Yeah, and but it's also... It frustrates me when, and I know everybody is most concerned about their own backyard and their own paycheck, mm-hmm. but it frustrates me when I hear musicians act as though this is a, uh, this is particular to their to their industry. This is happening everywhere. This is a yes, matter is. of the ease of content delivery on the internet mm-hmm. and our expectation that things should be that we should have access to everything for little to no money. Right. I mean, this is what has killed. Excellent long form website after excellent long form website. Yeah. It's what makes people have to continually play with their subscription models because it's a competitive space. Yes, in every in every aspect of content delivery, ad revenues very rarely pay the bills. We have no ads. No. We have no revenues. But I, even for I, places, I, I pay the fucking bills. Yeah, Evan <laughs> so pays the, the bills. Um, but for you know for bigger sites even uh, you watch them shutter because the ads on their ads themselves mm-hmm. don't do it and when you go to a subscription model there are very few places that can make that work and with Spotify since they are putting so much of their money out the door to the rights holders to put more money out there even if they wanted to would not be doable under their model without raising prices and when you're competing with multiple other so- services. You can't raise prices, or you lose customers. Well, so then that's that's one of the arguments is that it's time to raise prices on the uh, on on the streaming music. The Verge, you know, wrote and look, the, their math was bullshit. To be clear, and there'll be a link in the show notes. You decide, but they're like, I spent two dollars and thirty three cents on built to spill, and what they're not understanding and not representing in a write up like that is that potentially ninety million people spent that. Yeah, and so it's not what you individually do. And honestly, like, are we talking about people who just do streaming now? I don't know anybody who just does streaming. Like, nobody. People still like physical product. Mm-hmm. Um, you more movies than music, but, you know, it's... Um, and, you, like, I just am struggling to picture a world where this goes away. You know, they argue, like, people won't pay more. Maybe that's true. I mean, I find the price point that we're at now pretty ideal. Yeah, I mean... I'm not saying people won't pay more. There might be a price point higher that people still would pay, but in the competitive marketplace, yeah. you can't be the one to raise your prices unless you're offering something significantly different. Uh, titles, in, titles in Spotify, dealt with that. In Spotify, the difference is 90 million, like people, right? But so they have something to offer. I mean, that look, that's that's a marketing base that you can you're now like in front of very passively. But you're in front of 90 million potential ears. But you won't be if you raise your prices aggressively. I mean, look at the look at the video space. Again, many differences yeah. between the video space. We're talking about something totally different. It takes longer to to watch a movie and than it does to listen to music. People yeah. have a, more in their day to day lives. All those caveats. But the fact is that Spotify, when they introduced their streaming service, they introduced it at I think eight ninety nine was yes. their original one. Yes, and they did not raise prices. Until they had enough original content. I mean, I'm, I'm not sorry. We're talking about Netflix. Netflix. Here. Yeah. I'm sorry. You, you know what I was talking about there. Yeah. They did not raise their prices until they had enough original content that you could only find on Netflix. Yeah. To where people were effectively locked in if they wanted to be watching Orange mm-hmm. is the New Black, House of Cards, all the other Jessica stuff that Netflix Jones. was. You Jessica be watching. Jones now. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Um, to put that money in there. And now that Netflix has some freedom to uh-huh. raise their prices because they know that people are locked into that ecosystem and that they're, they don't want to lose access to those shows that they can't get anywhere else. Spotify. The only thing you can only find on Spotify is Spotify sessions. And I don't <laughs> think that there are very many people as nice as some I think of those got are the annotated ones now too. <laughs> right? As nice as those are, there's, there's nobody who's going to be like, well, I can't quit Spotify because of Spotify sessions. If they right. took their price from even eight nine, what is it, from even ten bucks to fifteen bucks a month, fifty yeah. percent price increase right there, there'd be a lot of people 
going to Apple Music. There'd be yeah. a lot of people going to Tidal because they could get <laughs> yeah. it for, they could get it cheaper. Um and that's nowhere close to what I've seen some folks suggesting. I th- I think there have been Streaming service price point suggested at what fifty sixty dollars a month, something like that. Yeah, which look nobody's going to pay that. Right, like nobody is going to pay that, and and it, I mean that that it doesn't take uh, a economist wizard to figure that out. Like that's just not viable. Then all of a sudden, music becomes a luxury. Yeah, I mean people are cutting the cord on cable packages uh, over similar types of price yeah. points, like. I don't want to pay for basic cable because basic cable might cost $60 a month. And now you're saying, well, you should increase the price of music to $60 a month when most of the people who are streaming are folks who uh, during the uh, Wilder West days back in the early 2000s were paying zippy for music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah just yeah. downloading it all well, for free. And it's analogous to that because I, I don't think a lot of people remember that quite as well as they should yeah and you know well, we're, we're the olds so we have to we are but that. you know but the, uh, the youngs actually that's how they discovered music that's why you end up with a uh, thing on npr by emily white about how she never buys music mm-hmm. the, the more people that i i interact with and actually we have some people down here that talk with uh of that age group i it's it is odd to me how much they don't buy music and that's mm-hmm. a problem but again that's not spotify's problem um, so to play devil's advocate, though, here, say uh, they do raise their rates. They're like, you know what? We're right. We're eliminating the free tier because that's a point of contention. Um, they have a model built on when we get to scale, we will be able to support this, uh, which I want to talk about after this question. But um, we raise the rates and then the rights holders are just going to jack up the rates that we have to pay them. Like, is that? A fair, I mean, I think scenario? it's a, it, it, with Spotify. I think it's complicated by the fact that the major, uh, a lot of the major studios have a minority stake in Spotify. Right. So when they increase, when they increase how much they're getting paid, they're getting paid directly, and then they're getting paid indirectly in their mm-hmm. uh, in their stock. So. It's kind of a win-win for them, mm-hmm. and I look. Who knows if this is the if this is the way they think about it either? Spotify not if Spotify's profitable, great, they make profit. If Spotify's not profitable, then who knows? Maybe eventually Spotify uh, gets sold off to somebody else, and there's and the stock gets converted into Jay-Z? another larger company. <laughs> it doesn't get sold to Jay Z. No. It gets sold to Google or Apple or somebody like that. That's right. That's a big conglomerate, and look. The rights holders are going to make are going to make the money one way or another. Yeah. Um, so I don't know the message. The message I always have is negotiate better deals. Yeah. And it's it's tough to say because you are you're not in a position of power usually when you're nope. a musician and you're approached by that record company saying sign on the dotted line. Like this is you know this is your dream right here. You're being represented by a label. They're going to put out your they're going to put out your mm-hmm. album. They're going to put you on tour. Things like that. But look at the terms of that contract. It's not fun and it's not sexy. If you don't want to look at it, get somebody. To get a it. friend who's a lawyer. You know, there's there are in, in DC. You can do that. I don't know yeah. about around that's, the world. That's you can true. I probably take it for granted because there's yeah. you. Know, you can't throw a rock without because hitting. A everybody lawyer that comes here. down here is a goddamn lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. But like, but find someone. And if it if it costs a little bit up front, then it, it's worth that cost if you can if you can negotiate well, a better deal. Well, th- th- that's the thing. It, it is a. Uh, I mean, and we're talking about grown up stuff. Not to uh, patronize anybody. But lawyers listen to music, too. They do. And you might be able to find one at your show. If you're big enough to be getting signed, you're probably big enough to have lawyers that are fans who might just want to do this to be a part of something. But but a lot of this is is actively um, doing a personal risk assessment, like what it's worth to you. Um, I had some friends recently ask me about all this. They hired a PR company, and they they spent like about – couple thousand dollars and got nothing out of it. Yeah. Nothing. And, um, you know, when we exist in that world, and that's sort of different from this conversation, but you, you have to l- look at all that. And I know it's a bummer, but if you don't, like I said, if you don't want to look at it, then find somebody who can. Yeah. Find a friend. You, everybody, I pitched this idea to somebody recently where, you know, DC, we're big on DIY. Now mm-hmm. let's do it together and whatnot. DC, literally everybody here is a 
fucking lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> and if any people listening to this are in this community and say they don't know one, they're lying. Yeah. But also, their art, I'm doing air quotes, as a lawyer is as valid as yours. And if they are a friend and if they are a fan, then they will step up. And they'll DIY the fuck yep. out of it yourself, them to help you. So this is, again, we're in a privileged state in D.C. that we can like do this. But I can't imagine it's that rare in cities across the nation. Even And, and look, even if you don't like, to, you know, even if you don't have friends that are lawyers, like we're, we're pushing representation right here. Yeah, it's it's not that tough. Like legalese sucks to go through. If you don't, you don't have to go through. You don't have to. You don't have to understand every word of it. You don't have to break down everything about it. But you can find the line that's telling you how you're being compensated for yeah. every little bit that you're that that's being taken out. You can find the riders and things like, like that, and you can compare them online. And everything's posted online. You want to find out how much how much this typical per stream rate is? Mm-hmm. Google it and spend half an hour looking through the posts, and you're going to get a reasonable comparison. Yeah, and like there's an argument that that you, they this these services shouldn't be operating on a pro rate of status, but like, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Like who is legitimately going to set the value, the exact value of a stream for, uh, I don't know, say Quinn started a band versus Coldplay. Yeah. Like the market determines that that's capitalism. And I mean, (laughs) it's just how it's going to work. That's exactly right. And that's why all the analogies, the people try to draw against the radio model are mm-hmm. just ridiculous. One, well, one, the radio one, model is problematic right now too. It, it, it is. I'm not, and this is not me defending the radio yeah. model. But whenever somebody says, "Here's how much I get for a stream," and "Here's how much it gets if it's played on K Rock," it's like one play on K Rock might reach a couple million people. Well, you the, know, well, people don't get paid. That's in America. People do not get paid at all for their plays on the radio. Mm-hmm. And they're going after that as they should. There was actually a bunch of people yeah, meeting in town. Blanket, it's a blanket license. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and and so, but they're trying to change that. In fact, uh, friends Nikolai was in town. Chad uh, Clark went up and testified to Congress yeah. about this, uh, along with Casey. I that's well, you should. Like these, these are that's the that's the way you change things. Yeah, because we're the only country besides North Korea that doesn't pay. Like oh, well, North fig- Korea doesn't pay for much. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so um, to. Uh, Again, drifting into whole other territories of this, should call Casey. You just throw up a like a Casey signal or something. Be like, that's, co- that's when I slink like, away because yeah. the actual copyright lawyer is here. Well, he's not a lawyer. So. That's the thing. He just he, he just knows more than all the lawyers. Um, you know, all that aside, though, let's take Spotify at their word uh, that they they are they're trying to be a business. They're trying to be goodwill. What about this to scale thing? Because I look at it and and I understand it as it's feasible. I don't think that nobody can run the math on it, but their argument is if we get enough people into this system, then we have enough power to start manipulating it for good, not for evil, for good. And, you know, there's an article in Music News, some bullshit website, saying how much they got paid. And uh, a guy in this Facebook thread I was in actually came back with, like, well, you have like maybe 30 people in the world trying to build out this new, like entirely new distribution system so that it works and benefits like across the board appropriately. Um, do you see this to scale thing working? I mean, who's to say it's the, that is uh, an argument that I think most uh, startups make mm-hmm. for their investors. Yeah. I think it's a just personal opinion. I think it's a pretty typical argument to make when you're releasing financials and you're looking potentially at a new, at another They've always investment. said it though. Yeah, but they've always been looking for more money. That's true. Like whenever you're looking to raise more capital, then you talk about look at all the great things we've done. Mm-hmm. People are people are here, people are buying in, our user base is growing, and if we just get it to the mythical point, the mythical tipping point. Yeah. Then we will be perpetually profitable. Like that's Okay. That that it's Silicon Valley spin. So basically, and, and basically, they, basically, they could sell me snake oil. Is what you're saying? I, sometimes it's snake oil, and sometimes it's Google. I yeah. mean, that's <laughs> that's the way it works. Because sometimes you hit that tipping point, and then it's yeah. all the profit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we're we're gonna put some links in these show notes. I mean, this is a uh, this is something we've talked about. The other thing we've talked about this since we started the podcast 
We've been talking about this for four, almost five damn years. Well, it's something that just keeps evolving in, in interesting right. ways. It, 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 it is. In a lot of ways, it is the story of music business right now. And it's just, it, frankly, it's the story of media business because mm-hmm. you see, not just with Netflix, you see the same thing on the digital side. It's with, you know, what's going on with cable unbundling and yeah. delivering stuff over the top instead of instead of through the careful, traditional delivery careful. models. Careful, careful, you're walking. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not offering. I'm not offering any opinions on it. It's just it's a changing landscape. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, like when we were just talking about uh, on the uh, Chance podcast that just came out about his release was only on Apple Music, yeah. which effectively makes that a $9.99 album a month. Not? Yeah. And, like, when we get into that, uh, you know, DC sort of didn't didn't completely avoid the uh, the recession, but uh, the rest of the country certainly got hit by it. Honestly, it's, it's an interesting and in many ways... Uh, frightening shift that the we've gone from a we've gone from a period when everybody owned their content in a fragile physical form yes and had to repurchase it if it was if it was gone you know your your tape broke your cd scratched i wore out my beverly hills cup 2 soundtrack tape like i'm I'm serious because it just kept slowing down no I've, i've worn out plenty of tapes in my life uh I've lost DVDs. I've had yeah. stuff stolen, and then you have to replace it one yeah. way or another. We went into a middle period where it was like everything's backed up. You still got your physical copies. We're trying to figure this out. And what the new shift seems to be is uh, the rights holders controlling access to the product yeah. and people being comfortable with that because we're more. You know, we like the access, and we're and we and we are comfortable enough with the access yeah. to pay a license fee effectively every month. And it's not just music; it's software too, like and Adobe. The Adobe Suite you mentioned is, the software thing before, and it's you're you're right about that too. It's it's anything that can be transmitted over the interwebs, and that's pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. Yeah. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see where where people want to go. If you you pay more money. To have less product but have more control over it, or you pay less money to have more product and have zero control over it. If you know if somebody's got the rights to something, they can take it away like that. Things disappear. Will Toledo. Things. There you go. Fifty thousand dollar mistake. But well, it wasn't a mistake. But but even that is like that. It's a fifty thousand dollar mistake that in in terms of physical copies. What I'm talking about is like Spotify loses the contract mm-hmm. for. A particular artist right. that's gone if that's all you're relying on then you either have to go buy the physical copies if they exist yeah or you just Switch don't have or you just don't well, have and, and that's actually sort of the weird title model is they're like they have all the prints yeah so say say you really are a lean back listener and the only thing you care about is prince beyonce and jay-z and maybe somebody else and you're like say five other people and you can do without these three because you have all of them and stuff but then they take away those others all of a sudden, you're off Spotify, and you're into something else. And, yep. and but nobody can buy those rights in perpetuity, though. That's also the like that's going to keep shifting, and customers will get fed up, and then they'll eventually hit the high seas hard. Well, maybe I don't want to assume that people will do that. I, I have a feel. I have a feeling that right now, because we've seen how quick. And relatively easy in terms of uh, capital and startup, it is to get a streaming service going. Mm-hmm. That there's Wait, are, mo- you, are you announcing our streaming service? <laughs> <laughs> all chunky, all the time. <laughs> it's the best streaming service. Boston and Hall Oats, for those <laughs> you don't know. No, uh, I, I just think that there's there's always going to be an ecosystem at this point yeah. uh, that will support it. If Spotify goes down and they might not, I think that right now they've got kind of critical mass. So they probably won't. Um, something else will rise up to take its place. Because yeah. You can do it. Yeah. You just have to. And, and even if it's because the fees were too, the, the fees were too high. They, they, they crashed under the weight of, uh, of how much they're having to pay out to studios. Someone will come in and think that they've disrupted that model enough that they can just yep. start it again. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I think it's about time we get on some rock. Uh, I, I did want to say, uh, I've been leery of this for a while, but David Lowry, come on, come over. 
I feel like we need to talk to him. I feel like and I, I know a few people that might be able to make it happen, but I, like I, I want to get into, I, I want to get a rather than like some weird internet like yelling thing. I, I want to sit and talk to people who actually like believe that Spotify and stuff like that is Satan and figure it out. I, I think all, per, all perspectives should be heard. They should be, and because like I said, the end result is that we like all the musicians make money. That that that's the most important thing. And uh, we like music. Musicians yeah. aren't going to make it if they don't make some money. So well, we're they all will. in favor of musicians will, making money. You won't hear it. <laughs> it's uh, we're making it under underpasses and <laughs> public parks. Yeah. So uh, let's get on some rock and roll. right there is Hungary uh, the band is White Lung the album is Paradise uh, this is a uh, I can't tell if it's a quartet or a trio anymore trio is it, it went down to a trio because yep. the lineup on the Wikipedia st- uh, page still has four people in the band uh, I think Upda- it's uh, that. Barber Way Vasilou and Williams right uh, yeah no yeah. no it's, it's Way Williams and uh, Vasilou yeah yeah okay that's what we just said yeah yeah, yeah. Barber, Barber Way Mishway, that's what they have. For Mish Barberway, she okay. got married. Mish, oh, excellent. Um, this is a uh, uh, punk trio now, uh, going back to about ten years now, uh, from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, where we're all going <laughs> after this election. Um, I have no opinion on this election. No, you do not. Um, you know, this is their fourth album, and on previous albums, they have uh, been. Uh, I'd say stereotypical punk, more California punk. I mean, the, the guitars have always been bigger, which I think is, to me, a distinction between East Coast and West Coast punk is that West Coast tends to embrace more, uh, and don't roll your eyes at this, Paul, uh, more of the hair metal, the, the timber of the guitars. They're okay. louder. Like, they, they, they use, like, the Marshall stacks instead of, like, the shitty amps that nobody, like, nobody in D.C. on Discord give you a fuck about their sound. It was just, like, plugging it in and make it loud. Whereas out there, you know, you've got L.A. and that whole all the way up to the West Coast. Um, You'd have something that would play the Velvet Room. Huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you know, if, you, if you're thinking that sounds a little bit like Hole, maybe? A little bit like Pretty Girls Make Graves? Uh, well, given that uh, one of Mish's favorite artists is Courtney Love, that makes a whole lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, although she denies it. She says, no, we don't sound like anybody. Which is yeah, but she wrote an essay about it. Oh, okay. There you go. So, um, if you pay- there's a difference between saying we sound like somebody because you always want to be, you always want to have your own sound. Yeah, and I think that they do. Mm-hmm. And saying that you admire somebody, and yeah. I think that that I think that's where the difference is. Like they admire a lot of the folks in the '90s, and especially Courtney Love again because Michelle well, who Barbara doesn't? Wade, I mean, yeah. come on. Hey, live through this. It's yeah, a fantastic. Like, album. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> That, I mean, that's the way to, well, I was just reading some interviews today where she was like disavowing this stuff. I, it's like, and I get it. You're tired of people talking about and comparing you to this and want to create a completely new, unique sound, which is what she said, uh, which is interesting about this album. <laughs> because uh, if you didn't pick up on that, that's a very 90s tune. That is way less uh, hardcore thrash punk than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I actually went back and listened to her last album, Paul. And I'm sorry I gave you shit. 
I, I will cop to that. Like right. that that's a good punk album. That's a good thrash like West Coast punk album. Uh this was uh I think a hyped release. I know it was hyped to because uh it was locked away. The PR was like nobody's see it. nobody's mm-hmm. listening to this and stuff. And I don't know how it's doing, but uh I do know there's a crow reboot coming. So every song on this album to my mind could end up on that. I'm not I'm no, not gonna pass no, 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 I'm no. not gonna hold pass on, hold on. I'm not wait, I'm not passing judgment on that. I'm not saying that pejoratively. But it is so particularly and explicitly nineties. I it it's sort of funny to hear this existing here in twenty sixteen. Well, here's a couple things. First of all, I love the Crow soundtrack. Yeah, who doesn't? I, I, I wrote an article for this very website <laughs> on the Crow soundtrack. But now I have to link to that fucker. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, bring up the old Rocktoberfest. Oh shit! But uh, I I think that this does not go in the same gothy direction as most of the stuff that was on the Crow soundtrack that had like. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm objecting. Let, let, let me quote. I'm let objecting quote, to the specifics. I gave up the seasons to get straight. And on, on the track below, you know this means nothing if you go die alone. But it's the I mean, but, but it's the sound. It like, doesn't rain all the most, time, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That song is nothing like anything on this album. <laughs> right, right, right. Whether, it's, whether there are lyrical similarities. I mean, you could pull lyrics from no. Garth Brooks and various punk albums and be like... Who said it first? You know, it's- <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> true, true. Um, yeah. So, 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 tell us what you feel about this because I mean, this is one of your favorite albums of the show. Oh yeah, I, th- I think this is a fantastic album. Um, I am, I'm a big White Lung fan. I've loved their their last two albums, and watching their evolution has just been great. I think that they've got a real, they've got a real clear voice. This is definitely less uh, hardcore. Than their last two albums, where they were going for a more traditionally hardcore right, sound. Right, right. Um, there's a lot of '90s in it. You're right, but uh, I think that they do something unique for themselves in it, and I and I think that it's it's great to hear them exploring different voices as well. the The last two albums were socially aware, and they mm-hmm. also dealt with uh, a lot of the uh, individual issues that that Mish was identifying and going through. Um, apologies if I'm mispronouncing her name. Uh, I see it in print, but I haven't heard it. Uh, right, pronounced. right, right, right. Um, Not a fact space podcast. Yeah. yeah, but uh, the new one, I think uh, there's a there's more of a narrative thread. They're in different places in their lives. They've experienced some success, um, and they're wrestling as many bands do with uh, with a transition to a bigger stage and to maybe a less hand to mouth existence than they had before. And they're doing it in the way that I think that I wish a lot more bands would do. Instead of writing the road weary album or trying to do the same thing that they did when they were in a different spot, mm-hmm. they're changing up their sound. They're taking uh, they're taking advantage of more studio resources. They're taking advantage of a more mature outlook and exploring different storytelling devices and uh, sonic palettes. And I think it's great. I mean, so. They are doing all of those things, so I agree with you. But whenever a band makes that step, uh, you know, I, I hear more 90s in this than you do, like, obviously. And, and let me be clear. I don't hear the Crow soundtrack. I, I totally do. I, but what, I hear... What was, on the, what was on the radio back when, when an album like this should have come out? Uh, for me, it was exactly this. And it, it was... Uh, it was flashy. It was. I mean, this sounds like a major label debut. And going back and listening to um, a lot of their older stuff, I, I, I'm just. It doesn't speak to me like it speaks to you. But I, I, I am confused to like how this plays and how you, like, how their audience is going to accept like this shift because it's a radical shift. This is polished. This is. This will end up on big soundtracks. This will end up like on what's the uh, Hunger Games knockoff. The uh, divergent yes, stuff. Yes, it'll it'll end up in an end credit to that, which good for them. They get paid. But the thing but is that they, they, there's they, nothing. There's nothing unless you dig really deep in this. There's nothing particularly dangerous about this. In fact, it's pretty much like just mainstream. Just, let's go. <laughs> I I I have so many problems with that statement. Um, <laughs> I know. You- <laughs> for, first is that. Well, there is no problem with bands making money. Yeah, so no. if it gets put on soundtracks, good for them. Yeah, yeah. Two, 
they address this very issue on the album because I think that, um, you know, Mish, Mish Barbara Way is not just outspoken, but she does a ton of writing. Yeah. Like, she she's an analyst. She's a columnist. She does she does a lot of great stuff. She's very aware of how people perceive this band, and it's referenced in the lyrics. Like, she married a guy mm-hmm. who was a musician himself, but who she has said in interviews... Some of her punk friends were maybe like, maybe this, uh, maybe yeah, this southern old boy. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. It's maybe not the most punk decision you could have made. Maybe you know this isn't consider this isn't consistent with your like feminist ideals and things like that. And she's written a couple songs on here that are basically like, "Fuck you, I'm living my life." Yeah, no, and, and I, that, I agree, and I, and I enjoy that. And, and the I thing is, that. that's that's what comes through in this album. This is not compromised for commercial development. This is. This is very clearly a statement of what the band wants to say and how they want to say it. And if that, you know, if that sounds like something somebody wants to put on a soundtrack, I see it more as people recognizing good work than a good band trying to compromise themselves to be accepted on a soundtrack. It just, it feels, um, I mean, to that point about what you're talking about, you know, that um, coming from Richmond and, and there's a, in a lot of old school punk people and fans, there, there's a lot of dogmaticism. And, yeah. and, that idea that like oh my punk crew doesn't believe in that you know that's for grown-ups that's bullshit i mean you can't and i believe all that intent is there but i'm still left with what we have is a completely slick uh and again you can dig into it and get some more meat and there is some meat to this but sonically it's such a weird shift from what they were doing to this completely marketable but is it yeah, it really no, is. Because uh, like what they were doing before, this is this is ni- this is this is perfect ninety seven radio play, which had nothing to do with punk. Uh, again, not a problem. I, love, I, I, I know love it's the not 90s. a problem with you, but um, but coming from them, where they're like railing against like actually being compared to these bands as much as she loves them. But I, I don't. I just don't think that that's an accurate representation of like where of the band's development and their narrative. Like sure. they were getting nineties comps with their last two albums. Because they still like it was it was punk, but it was right. that what you're calling West Coast punk, but which was really kind of like '90s proto pop, like proto like proto proto grunge. Yeah, exactly. You're doing you, you, that. That's a better description. And now they've kind of added some uh, added some more space to it, which you're saying makes it sound more like radio alternative. And yeah. maybe it was. And there was a ton of great stuff that was put out sure. in that in that '90s radio alternative vein. But I do think that it retains a lot of the punkish roots and the sensibilities right there, and it makes it something that's wholly different. If if any of these songs came out in the '90s, I guess I'll say they would not have sounded wholly out of place on the radio. But they made they would have made you sit up and take notice. There was a lot of background noise on the on the radio. Then where you just be like, yeah, it's another seven. And, and that's where we had a different experience because yeah. because that's actually at the end of the day. Where I find myself like with this is that it wouldn't have made me sit up because there were so many. I mean, the radio was lousy with stuff exactly like this. No, and it, it wasn't. And so it, while I've gone back and like now I'm like listening to the album before this, and I'm just like, yeah, I, I'm I'm into this. I hear this, and and maybe it'll maybe it's a grower, but uh, it just except for one song which we're gonna play actually, um, because it's a brutally clever <laughs> track uh, that it it doesn't it. It hits this weird spot where I'm like, you are imitating this uh, this style of music, and you don't need to because you've proved that you you like you just don't need to, and you're not doing it as well as the people who did it. No, in the see, first place. I, I, that's the thing is, I just I can't I, I couldn't disagree more on that because it's, I don't think it's imitation. I think it's evolution. Everybody's mm-hmm. got their influences. So the '90s coming back. Did the '90s ever leave? Like <laughs> that's every classic rock station now, right? But but it's Come also but, but I also box. don't see it as a full departure from what they've done before. This is right. just uh, th- this is just growing up, you know. This is letting your sound breathe a little bit more and trying on some different perspectives and an ability to really record and stretch out with some people that you're now more comfortable with than you know, this kind of claustrophobic, frenetic uh, recording and touring process you were in before. They're letting a little bit of success give them the freedom to explore new avenues. 
And I think it's I think it's incredibly successful. And I will fully admit that that is partially because this hits all yeah, of my high yeah, points. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, this hits all the stuff I like. Let, let, let's hear a track right now. Uh, this is uh, "Kiss Me When I Bleed" off of uh, Paradise. Not only is that song uh, extremely uh, visceral, um, but it, it is strong with the rock. It is oh, strong. Yeah. It is strong with the punk spirit. Uh, so I, I will give them uh, give them those props uh, where they are deserved. Um, I, I think what I wanted out of this album is that it's just more of that, more of that pure fury. I mean, that, that's. I mean. First of all, the conceit of that song, like that's fu- that's powerful. Yeah, that is fucking power. And then is and she's an avowed feminist, and like her last album, and, uh, they they speak to these issues. Um, not that's really an issue. It's just sort of like taking the power. You know, fuck you. Um, but then you go. Th- I, I go through this at least, Paul, and and I, I just am like, this could be a rom com jam for below. Uh, and I actually like that song. But this is this is like the the end thing, or maybe the hookup scene. It's also almost perfectly like product placement. And we were just talking about hype off mic, and I may be doing this now. Uh, you know about how people react to hype and and whatnot. But I I can so perfectly place where these songs fit in the '90s, and it it's confusing to me as to where they exist, where they should exist in 2016. Besides just existing. The thing is, I just... This is the funny thing about talking about something that's, you know, 16 to 26 years old right now. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get what you're saying right here. Like, right, I, can right. hear, I can hear the influences, but like I told you off mic, 
I cannot think of a point in my life, 90s or otherwise, where if this randomly came on on the radio or I'll even give you in a scene in a rom-com or something, I would not have lost my shit. Like, yeah. this is a song and this is an album full of songs that make you sit up and take notice. Like, even if you can name check where they came from, and I believe me, I think you guys spent half the car seat headdress podcast yeah. name checking like influences oh, we did. and things and that, that's and why things, it's confusing and things it sounds like there are pieces here well, that have been put into a a unique and interesting and i think uh progressive whole okay is is this the uh impending baby talking what <laughs> are you, are you like feeling your mortality and now going back to the 90s no, no. I, I don't think the 90s ever left me. Okay. But baby's going to listen to Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. It's going to have some, some flannel you know, you onesies. You know who else baby's going to listen to? Car seat headrest. Hell yep. yeah, dude. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, uh, I mean. So, so what are you going to do with this, Paul? Well, let me think. Uh, bye. <laughs> Strong buy. There's uh, approximately zero chance this is not in my top ten at the end of the year. So yeah, um, I'm gonna shock you. I mean, as many as many problems that I have with this album, and uh, and we'll probably be talking about this one for a while. Uh, I am gonna stream it partially because we are gonna be talking about this one at the end of the year. I mean, because of you. Thanks, Paul. Uh, I do what I can. You know, um, uh, Paul, who still has not listened to Lemonade, but it's neither here nor there. Uh, you know, uh, why you gotta call me out like that, I, bro? Because I do. Because <laughs> it's Lemonade, uh, the second best album of the year. But uh, yeah, I, I, I stream it. I I struggle to find where I'm gonna be in a place where I. I mean, for me, musically, the '90s were bullshit, and maybe that's the schism here that that we have as far as how you received this album. If that was your sweet spot, I mean, early '90s were cool, like first Nirvana albums, smash first Smashing Pumpkin albums, fuck Siamese Dream, fuck you, <laughs> and uh, but but the time that this makes me recall just was not working for All me. All right, all. this is I'm getting '90s or bullshit this week, and last time I was down here, I was getting. Oh, Pablo Honey is the greatest thing in the world. Well, it is. Does not it compute. <laughs> well, it was early nineties. It was in. It was in the first rush. Not a factually consistent podcast. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, well, uh, you'll never hear that, folks. So I'm going to edit that out. And uh, so, yeah, just white lung paradise. White Lung Paradise, out now. Uh, took us a few weeks to get to it, to uh, review it. That's because it took us, because uh, we didn't get in advance, quite honestly. That's what happens. That's okay. Well, and you know, we had above the bayou clothes, and we had to Yeah, we, we, so. we had to uh, punish our bodies and minds doing that. Um, before we get out of here this week, uh, we always like to feature a track. Uh, this week is something I, I might, you know, Jamal Lewis, or J- Jamal Lewis, Jamal Gray, uh, from Nag Champa uh, has been on here. You just heard him on the Chance podcast. He's he he may be back to talk about this big ties to the DC jazz scene. And now that this is tied to the G- DC jazz scene, uh, but there's an album on the way in a few weeks uh, called Everything Is Beautiful, um, and it's sort of billed as a Miles Davis album. It's put together by uh, Robert Glasper. You know him. He's a famous jazz pianist, keyboard player, if you will. Um. And basically, he samples Miles Davis and uses these written instructions to piece together this album. Paul, you haven't heard the album as a whole. I have. It's fucking fantastic. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to this album. Yeah, it is fucking fantastic. So 
um, what we wanted to do is is at least get this in your ears uh, and be aware this is coming out. Um, so this is uh, Miles Davis, Robert Glasper, uh, featuring uh, Ladisi, John Schofield, and Black Milk, who we've talked about on here. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is uh, I'm Leaving You. Leaving you, uh, Miles Davis, Robert Glasper, Ladisi, John Schofield, and uh, Black Milk. Uh, I forgot jo- John Schofield was on the album. I, I saw him once playing with uh, Medeski Martin and Wood, nice. which is uh, an, a weird. They got into the really hooked into the jam band scene in the late nineties, early two thousands. I, I hesitate to call them a jam group because if you go back to their early albums, for sure, uh, it is this. It's almost bebop. But with different instrumentation, and it's just fantastic work. Um, and Schofield plugged right into that. Uh, so everything is beautiful is coming out um, soon. I'll put it in the show notes. I didn't put it in my notes. Uh, and uh, you should dig it. <laughs> you should dig it a lot. Um, that's our podcast uh, this time around. Um, you can now listen to us on. Let me count count the ways. We got iTunes, we got Mixcloud, we got Google Play, uh, not SoundCloud, um, but you can play us from the site. That's four. That's enough, right? Maybe, yeah. we'll, maybe we'll get on YouTube. I don't know. Someday. We're not on Stitcher? Yes. Thank you. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I was like, We're wait, did we lose Stitcher? No. No. No, Stitcher is sort of like abandoning us, though. Red-headed stepchild. They're just like, whatever. Sit but, down. But we were one of their best music podcasts we of 2014. Were. Not anymore. Um, We're the 23rd most influential uh, music yeah, blog out there. So. We'll see. PJ's about to get that guide again. We'll see where we rank this year if it went up. Uh, as usual, thank you for listening, Paul. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your Anytime. busy schedule to come down here and drink some beers. We'll be back in a few days. Uh, until then, be good to your ears. Be better to your people. See you later.
<laughs> <laughs> Kenobi.